Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool is ready. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today, as well as a special champagne toast. And if you've been paying attention to the news today, you can probably guess who that champagne toast will focus on. It's uh, former Secretary of State and uh, retired U.S. Army General Colin Powell, a very distinguished career that we'll be talking about at the end of the podcast. Uh, Jim, let's start with the good martini. And the good martini is when truth is stated, it is stated clearly, and especially when it's stated clearly in front of someone who doesn't want to hear it. And that's exactly what happened yesterday on Reliable Sources. So molecule of credit to Brian Stelter, because we don't give him many, uh, for having Barry Weiss on the program. She was a former uh, editorial figure over at the New York Times, a liberal herself, but left because of the uh, monolithic groupthink over there at the New York Times. And so uh, she has been basically saying lately that the world's gone insane and you're not allowed to say it. And so Stelter says, hey, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Give me some examples. And she had receipts, Jim. Here's what she said. You write, there are tens of millions of Americans who aren't on the hard left or the hard right who feel the world has gone mad. So in what ways has the world gone mad? Well, you know, when you have the chief reporter on the beat of COVID for the New York Times talking about how questioning or pursuing the question of the lab leak is racist, the world has gone mad. When you're not able to say out loud and in public that there are differences between men and women, the world has gone mad. When we're not allowed to acknowledge that rioting is rioting and it is bad, and that silence is not violence, but violence is violence, the world has gone mad. When we're not able to say that Hunter Biden's laptop is a story worth pursuing, the world has gone mad. When in the name of progress, young school children, as young as kindergarten, are being separated in public schools because of their race, and that is called progress rather than segregation, the world has gone mad. So then Stelter reverts back to being Stelter and jumps in and says, well, who's actually saying you can't say anything? And Barry Weiss basically ah. says, uh, well, networks like the one I'm on, for example. And then he kind of changes the subject, of course. So, uh, Jim, you know, a lot of these cable channels can be echo chambers, regardless of your political persuasion. Reliable sources might be one of the biggest ones of all. So glad that she had that opportunity. And man, when she had that opportunity, uh, she brought a lot to bear. Yeah, I was just thinking there, you know, if, if somebody said to you, to, you know, particularly off the cuff, uh, how is the world going mad? You're like, oh, how, how can you not see it? And it would take time to gather it. You know, Barry Weiss just puts together six terrific examples, one after another. Boom, 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 boom. The only real proper response to that from uh, Brian Stelter is to some sort of like, you know, uh, yeah, OK, I guess I guess you're right. The, the world is going mad. <laughs> you know, maybe not every corner of it. Maybe he thinks his network is doing a better job than everybody else. But uh, all in all, like, yeah, OK, the, all of those things are just downright nutty. Um, and while she, when, he, when she, I first heard, you know, Hunter Biden, my first thought was, you know, uh, this anonymous art auction that he's doing. That strikes me as a pretty glaring example of the sort of thing that uh, would ordinarily be sending up giant red flags of conflicts of interest and cashing in on his father's uh, business and backdoor efforts to influence the administration. And, and apparently most people are just kind of shrugging at that. So, you know, that's that's an example of how that's gone mad. Um, so, yeah, a, a, you know, a, a molecule or two of credit for having Barry Weiss on there. And by the way, let's just kind of observe when someone like Barry Weiss 
looks at what the administration is doing or what the greater progressive left, like Barry Weiss is the kind of person who's supposed to be on their side, right? She, she is not a down the line, arch-right conservative who's been active in Republican politics, but you know, not at all. She is probably somebody who still considers herself on the left side of the spectrum and probably by a, a decent margin. But the, the answer is that the left and with it a big chunk of the, the modern Democratic Party and certainly a big chunk of America's elites, not just in government, but also and not just in media, but also in corporate America, in the arts community, in um, really all you know, academia, which has long since gone you know very far to the left. Um, it's now quasi Maoist, right? It, it's really not just like, you know, like it's not liberal. It is not believing in a more open and free society. It isn't a, well, no, we need to start closing down society in some cases, quite literally. Um, you know, and, and we must suppress and we must stamp out all dissent from our vision of society, which is the only true one, the only one right one, a, a mentality that you would find in any kind of religious fundamentalist anywhere in the world. So, um, kudos to her, a little bit of credit for, for, I, I just wish Brian would like digest what she said. Just, just <laughs> right. think about it and allow it, you know, what if she's got a point? What if she's right? What if the folks of the left aren't always the good guys, aren't always right in any given circumstance, but, uh. I guess we just have to be happy with these baby steps, Greg. <laughs> I guess I'll take it where I can get it. But uh, you know, good for her. And uh, hopefully a, a lot of people were listening. Doesn't seem like it's sunk in with him, but uh, maybe time over time uh, it will. All right. A lot of truth on reliable sources yesterday, at least in that segment, which is uh, a rarity, I must say. Uh, how about some truth when it comes to banking for your small business? Small business owners, startups, freelancers, entrepreneurs. Do you know the number one way to avoid unfair bank fees? Step one, close your account. Step two, open a new Novo free business banking account. Novo is the number one business banking app because it's built from the ground up to be powerfully simple and free business banking that Money Magazine called the best business checking account of 2021. And think about it. There are a few months left. They still won that award. That's how good they are. <laughs> With Novo, there are no minimum balances, no transaction limits, and no hidden fees. You can sign up for free in less than 10 minutes at banknovo.com slash martini. Then they will mail you a Novo debit card and you get free ATM use. Boy, wouldn't that come in handy? Novo makes banking easy and secure, and you can manage your account in Novo's customizable web, Android, and iOS apps with built-in profit-first accounting and invoicing. Plus, you can tag each transaction and upload receipts. Novo seamlessly integrates with most leading business tools and services like Stripe, Shopify, QuickBooks, and more for free. In fact, with so many seamless integrations, fans are calling Novo the Swiss Army Knife of bank accounts. That's a pretty cool nickname. Plus, Novo offers more than $5,000 in perks and discounts just for signing up. So get your free business banking account in just 10 minutes at banknovo.com slash martini. Go to banknovo.com slash martini to sign up for free right now and get a free copy also of Novo's Small Business Starter Guide. One more time, banknovo.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move to our bad martini now. And we are now just two weeks away tomorrow from the Virginia governor's race. Uh, by most accounts, it's very close. Fox News had McAuliffe up five. Another poll had Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, up one. Most of them are within the margin of error. So turnout enthusiasm, I think, is going to matter. We'll find out how accurate these polls are. Trafalgar, I think, had uh, Youngkin up a point. Uh, but the Democrats are, uh, of course, not taking anything for granted. They're bringing out the big guns. We found out last week that Obama's coming. 
McAuliffe said Biden's coming, but that seemed to be news to Jen Psaki. Um, but I'm not sure how much he would want him anyway right now. But uh, Kamala Harris is getting involved and in a very bizarre way. There is a video clearly advocating for Terry McAuliffe that's going to run, and I, I guess it started yesterday, in 300 black churches in uh, Virginia. It's not just a, hey, don't forget to vote. Voting's important. Vote, voting is one of the most important rights that we have. Make sure you have your voice heard kind of a thing, which would be okay until you get to advocacy. And in this video, Kamala Harris makes it very clear who she expects these parishioners to vote for, and not only vote for, but vote right after the service. Here's part of the video. In 2020, more Virginians voted than ever before. And because you did, you helped send President Joe Biden and me to the White House. This year, I know that you will send Terry McAuliffe back to Richmond. So early voting has already started, and this is the first year that you can vote on Sundays. So please vote after today's service. And if you cannot vote today, make a plan to go vote. And earlier in the video, she's talking about uh, the wonderful record, of, supposedly, of Terry McAuliffe and his earlier stint as governor. So, Jim, uh, you know, anytime a, uh, a religious figure on the right uh, makes an endorsement, there's uh, hand-wringing about IRS uh, violations, separation, you know, church and state and that kind of thing, uh, nonprofit status of churches and tax-exempt. Um, this is about as blatant as it gets. And as far as I can tell, nobody's raising a legal flag at all. Yeah, look, churches are tax-exempt nonprofits, and they are permitted to engage in activities designed to encourage people to participate in the electoral process, such as voter registration and get out the vote drives, as well, according to the Internal Revenue Service. But those activities have to be conducted in a nonpartisan way. And the law is very straight, straight up says, voter education and registration activities with evidence of bias that would A, favor one candidate over another, or B, oppose a candidate in some manner, or C, have the effect of favoring a candidate or group of candidates will constitute prohibited participation or intervention. And of course, the church that airs the video, like on paper, you should be losing your tax exempt status over this. Now, look, I'm comfortable with one standard, whatever it is. If you want to look at the current laws and say, you know what, churches believe very strongly in, in certain values. Some candidates embrace those values. Some candidates impose those values. And if you wanted to have, if a church said, you know what, the issue of abortion is preeminent to us. And one candidate opposes abortion, one candidate supports abortion, one candidate supports taxpayer funding of abortion. We have to speak out on this. We have to say this candidate is good and this candidate is bad. You know, I could live with that. I could live with a world in which we said, all right, any religious institution that wants to openly endorse candidates and say we encourage our flock to vote for this one, fine. Let's go ahead and do it that way. Or I could do it with one which is kind of the, the, the letter of the law that we currently have, which is, you know what? You want to encourage people to vote? Fine. You want to talk about your values? Fine. And hope that people kind of connect the dots on, you know, let's say you're a church and you speak very pro-life and they figure out, okay, I should vote for the pro-life candidate. Um, but I don't like this idea where, oh, no, we're going to, we're going to, you know, raise a big stink if the evangelical churches do this, but we're going to be perfectly okay if the African-American churches do this when they tell people to vote for Democrats. Now, all up on it over at Hot Air makes the interesting point that actually, you know, depending, looking at various studies, African-American churches are a little bit more open about how they're, uh, which way they want them. You know, this, I think it's like three in 10 uh, black Protestant churchgoers had heard their clergy openly supporting Clinton. One in five had heard uh, opposition to Trump. And you heard a little bit less from white evangelical. Not a ton. Uh, actually, okay, I stand corrected. Actually, white evangelicals with 4%. Kind of wonder how broadly they're defining it. 6% for 
uh, Catholic, 2% for white mainline churches. Well, look, if this is going to set the precedent that any, you know, pastor, any priest, any, uh, I guess, any rabbi, any imam, anybody from any religious congregation can more or less openly endorse a candidate. Well, fine. But that means you're going to get a lot more endorsements from these white evangelical uh, and Catholic uh, and churches. And, and you know what? That's probably going to work out better for Republicans. So maybe this is in the long term a benefit for that. I, I just does. It does seem like an unbelievably glaring contradiction of the current law and a double standard. And if you want to, if, if Democrats want to go down this line, fine. But I don't want to hear any more complaints about separation of church and state or, you know, gripes about, uh, you know, we're imposing theocracy or, or anything like that. Both sides have their Christian voters. Both sides have their bases of support. And you can't say that it's OK for one group of churches to do it, but not OK for another group of churches to do it. Yeah, there was another story suggesting that Terry McAuliffe was at uh, churches yesterday and is going to be on the, the remaining Sundays before the election, literally going there and then leading people to the polls <laughs> after the services. So, I mean, uh, if you're going to blow up the law, I guess uh, blow it up all the way. There's never going to be a year where the Democrats say, ah, we got this one. We're not going to bother to get out the African-American. Oh, no. I think they've learned their lessons from that. Sure. Um, but it does seem like they, they certainly are acting like they're nervous about the Virginia gubernatorial race. And Judging by the data we have, they probably should be. Yeah, they should be. This uh, this was a wider margin not that long ago. And uh, McAuliffe's own mistakes and uh, Glenn Youngkin being a pretty good candidate uh, could make things very interesting. But we'll see. We'll see. All right. Let's talk about something else that's uh, very nice. And that is the products you can buy from MyPillow. And today we're focusing on the wonderful Giza Dream Sheets. Soft, comfortable, uh, great wash after wash. Doesn't... Uh, erode, doesn't shred. They look just as fresh and clean and new as the first time you put them on the bed. And so for a limited time, uh, you can get and and so for a limited time, you can buy one and get one free on any set of Giza Dream Sheets when you use our promo code Martini at MyPillow.com. Imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own, guaranteed. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. These sheets' long staple cotton makes them ultra soft and breathable. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. And now for a limited time, you can buy one, get one free on all Giza Dream Sheets. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener's square, and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104 and find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, the MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Do not miss this sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com, promo code Martini, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, let's move on to our crazy martini now. And this is not crazy in a way that will make us laugh at all. This is horrific. It's outrageous. And you like to think it could have been preventable. The Wall Street Journal, kudos to them for actually paying attention to what's still going on in Afghanistan. Lots of people still trapped there. Citizens, green card holders, Afghan allies by the tens of thousands, it would appear. And now we are getting reports that roughly 95% of the citizens of Afghanistan are undernourished. Uh, the Red Cross and other organizations are sending food, but it's coming to the airports and border crossings, and the Taliban controls those. So if you're not friends with the Taliban, you're not getting any of that food. So people are in dire straits, and the Wall Street Journal shares this story as an example of that. 
Desperate to feed her family, Saleha, a house cleaner here in western Afghanistan, has incurred such an insurmountable debt that the only way she sees out of it is to hand over her three-year-old daughter, Najiba, to the man who lent her the money. The debt? $550. Saleha is a 40-year-old mother of six who goes by one name, earns 70 cents a day cleaning homes in a wealthier neighborhood of Herat. Her much older husband doesn't have any work. Such is the starkness of deepening poverty in Afghanistan, a humanitarian crisis that is worsening fast after the Taliban seized power on August 15th, prompting the U.S. to freeze $9 billion in Afghan central bank assets and causing a halt in most foreign aid. This is uh, hot air now. Jazz Shah, uh, reflecting back on the story, says a reporter spoke to the lender who Saleha owes the money. He admits that he made an offer a few weeks ago to cancel her debt if she hands over her daughter to be quote-unquote, married to one of his sons when she reaches puberty. Until that time, the daughter will do domestic work around the house. In the phone interview, the lender made no bones about the arrangement. Quote, I also don't have money. They haven't paid me back. So there is no option but taking the daughter, a three-year-old daughter who's basically going to be a slave until she becomes a sex slave. That's where Afghanistan is right now. You know, Greg, one of the drums that I have been beating pretty much since uh, uh, well well before August, really, um, was the sense that Afghanistan was uh, going to disappear from the headlines very quickly, that Americans did not want to be reminded of the consequences of this decision. And certainly the Biden administration did not want to be reminded of the consequences of this decision. Um, and I got to say, it feels like there's actually been a little bit of a turning of the tide on this. This, uh, this story is on page A6 of the Wall Street Journal, but there's an image of Saleha and her three-year-old daughter, Najiba, front and center on the, in a big picture on the front page of today's Wall Street Journal. Yes, I subscribed to the print version. Um, in addition, I don't know if you saw, President George, former President George W. Bush said Monday that he feels deep sadness over the Taliban's recent takeover of Afghanistan. It's a letter from Bush and his wife, former First Lady Laura Bush. Uh, today's morning, Joel, I go through a whole bunch of uh, developments. Uh, you know, Senator John Cornyn meeting with Afghan uh, refugees who are basically telling that, like, basically everyone is in danger. Um, I was kind of shocked to find that the Connecticut, one of the Connecticut affiliates of NBC News, did a story about 43 Connecticut residents who are still stuck in Afghanistan and trying to get out and working with. Her. So, to my somewhat satisfaction, we are seeing some more attention on this story. Um, I think there is this perception when when Biden made the announcement and when the you know the government in Kabul collapsed and the Taliban took over, there were a bunch of people who said the only thing Americans are going to remember out of Afghanistan is that Biden got us out. Well, now it's October 18th, um, and I don't think that's the case. I think Americans feel very intense feelings of frustration and anger and shame and regret and. Even if they supported the idea of getting out, which I think almost every American did uh, eventually, someday, uh, a, a you know sense that this was not the way to do it, that it is an absolute stain on our record, that there are American citizens still over there, there are green card holders still over there, and there are lot, tens of thousands of special immigrant visas who we promised we were going to get out and who we just abandoned and who are currently trying to dodge Taliban death squads right now. Uh, the humanitarian disaster is going to be catastrophic. The 
cultural and consequence, uh, cultural and, and kind of just the general sense of the reinvigoration for the forces of Islamism and terrorism is going to be terrible. Um, so this is a crazy martini, but it is also a, the fact that it's still being noticed and the fact that it's still being discussed is a little bit of a silver lining to this and a recognition that no, the administration isn't going to be able to kind of shrug and I say Jedi mind trick people, but basically just wait for the the news cycle to change and, and get a you know get away with it, be okay with it. Um, I can't go into a lot of detail about what I'm hearing from my sources, but I'll just say that the efforts to get people out of Afghanistan are ongoing. If you feel like kicking a little money their way, I'm sure they certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't mind it. They have a lot of expenses of making sure there's you know housing for people both in Afghanistan to make sure they don't get ratted out to the Taliban and to make sure that uh, they can get once they do get people out of the country. Everything from housing to blankets to clothes to food to, you know, every conceivable need they still have there. So um, there's a lot of dark and depressing news out there, particularly on this front. But there are a lot of very noble, good, just giant hearted Americans who are doing what they can in this very dark hour. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And just horrific to even imagine being in the position of that mother. I can't, I can't obviously imagine being in that situation of basically choosing starvation or handing over your child. Just, just absolutely horrific. All right, Jim, uh, as we mentioned at the top, we have a uh, champagne toast today. And for regular listeners of the Three Martini Lunch, that means that we're going to spend some time talking about a significant figure that has recently passed away. And this morning we learned of the death of uh, retired U.S. Army General Colin Powell, also a Secretary of State, a Vietnam veteran, uh, served a number of tours there, was a National Security Advisor late uh, in the administration of President Reagan, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, of course, during most of the George H.W. Bush administration and was a critical figure during the, the Gulf War. Um, later on, 1996, a lot of Republicans heavily recruiting him to run for president. A lot of people think he probably would have won, but it's hard to know for sure. Ultimately decided he didn't have the passion for politics. A lot of people said his wife wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, he did become Secretary of State for uh, President George W. Bush and then, of course, became a, a critical figure as the wars in Afghanistan, which we just mentioned, and Iraq went uh, forward, uh, stayed there for one term. I think there was a falling out over uh, the, the case made at the UN in Iraq, and ultimately starting in uh, 2008, he was uh, endorsing Obama and every Democrat since then. So there are some uh, different uh, political takes on this. I know Chris Saliz over at CNN was saying, there's no one, you know, there, there are no Colin Powell Republicans left in the Republican Party, and other people... Um, making other statements that are just, I think, way premature and very early. Uh, turns out he officially died of COVID-19 uh, complications. Uh, he was vaccinated, as just about every story has pointed out. But what most of them aren't pointing out is that apparently he was battling multiple myeloma. So he had extra uh, complications as in, in, in addition to just the virus. But uh, Jim, um, regardless of what one thinks of Powell politically, his decades of service to our country, his significance on the national security stage over a number of decades as well, pretty hard to calculate. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, you knew he was getting up there in years. You know, he was 84. We should not be shocked that a 84-year-old man who's facing significant health issues could succumb to COVID-19 even though he was fully vaccinated. You get up there in years, you have major issues, your immune system is just not going to work the way it usually does. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, these things can happen even when you're getting the best care you possibly can. I believe he was at Walter Walter Reed. Um, yeah. And just an observation that like, um, you know, a fan early on, uh, you know, you and I were teenagers in the era of the Persian Gulf War, and he just was this 
no pun intended, commanding presence. Um, I think that, you know, that we were used to getting a certain amount of highly technical jargon from your typical Pentagon spokesman. You know, this is the QRT X74 system, which will be, you know, and then, you know, Colin Powell to go out and say, yes, our strategy is, you know, the Saddam's army, first we're going to cut it off and then we're going to kill it. You know, just this bluntness, just this directness, just this, you know, um, refreshing clarity uh, that he brought to it. And look, you know, the idea of uh, it was the first African-American chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And there was this sense, oh, yeah, here's this trailblazer guy. Here was this guy who uh, makes us feel reassured and confidence and that this was a guy who was in command, knew what he was doing. Um, and look, when you decide, you know, he, he retired from the military after 35 years in uniform. Um, and he, he came out as a uh, very appealing figure that a lot of people, including myself, I, I, when he wrote his autobiography in Washington, D.C., one of the bookstores in Capitol Hill had him there for autograph signing, stood online, uh, gave the autograph book to my dad and, um, you know, had like just, you know, two, three minutes of being able to uh, exchange pleasantries to him. But, um, yeah, he just seemed like this extraordinary figure. And all, I wrote about this in the corner today. Just I think people back in the early 90s just figured, oh, Colin Powell is the kind of guy who's going to end up being the first African-American president. And I think there is a extraordinarily likely that if he had run for president in 1996, he would have beaten Bill Clinton. According to Dick Morris, Bill Clinton was terrified of running against Colin Powell. Um, Alma Powell reportedly was terrified that her husband would be assassinated if he ran for president in 1996 and uh, basically gave him an ultimatum said, if you're doing this, you're not doing this with me. Or at least that's the account that came through many years later. And it, you know, certainly is understandable. You kind of wonder if Alma Powell had felt differently, whether a lot of recent American history would have unfolded differently. Uh, Colin Powell did not run for president. Bill Clinton got a second term. Whole lot of baggage goes with that one. Uh, but Colin Powell came back as Secretary of State, serving during 9-11 and into the run-up to the Iraq War. I, it's hard to shake the feeling that Colin Powell felt emotionally scarred by his role in the sales pitch for the Iraq war. He gave the you know now infamous United Nations presentation with George Tenet and I believe John Negroponte behind him um, in, the, uh, in the presentation about Saddam's weapons of mass destruction that you know, were not found in the aftermath of the Iraq war. Um, I can't help but notice that was the last time, you know, after that, uh, Colin Powell did not endorse any Republicans. Uh, he endorsed Barack Obama in 2008, 2012. Even though he had donated to John McCain earlier in the cycle, and I believe he endorsed, uh, in fact, he endorsed Hillary Clinton, although really kind of funny. Apparently, you know, Colin Powell got hacked. And uh, in those emails, it was pretty clear that Colin Powell was not feeling particularly warm and fuzzy towards um, Hillary Clinton, uh, but that he endorsed her anyway. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the end of an era. And but the point I tried to summarize today is that Colin Powell, like, I don't think he was right on everything. There, there are areas where I disagree with him, but he was a guy It was just so easy to respect that even when you did disagree with him, um, you know, you knew his heart was in the right place. You know, he loved his country. You know, he wanted to make his country a better place. And you didn't have to agree with him all the time to look at him and see a man very much worth admiring. And I, I just feel like the and a, a, a better era is passing along with him. We've lost him. We've lost Rumsfeld. We lost a lot of the elder statesmen um, of the, the formulative years of you and I, Greg, which strong indicator you and I are getting older, um, but also just a sense of the, the kind of the last of the cold warriors are slipping away from us. And, uh, um, you know, it's very important that all of these figures and all of their contributions to keep our country free not be forgotten.
Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Very well said. And uh, just a, a lighthearted story. I've never met Colin Powell, but um, he did come to Radio America shortly after he retired. This would have been between uh, 91 and 96 to cut some PSAs, public service announcements for the National Fatherhood Initiative. And so he was looking at the script and he uh, decided to make some changes to the script. And so he asked an intern, who was not me, thankfully, uh, to... Um, to go make some changes uh, and type up the new script with the revisions. And so the intern did that, brought him the new script, and then walked back to the office and uh, ripped the original script into about 10 different pieces. And uh, Colin Powell's looking at the script and going, "Now nah, I like the original one better. Bring that one back. <laughs> <laughs> and from what I understand, he was very gracious about it. But uh, that's, the, uh, that's the Radio America story from Colin Powell. But... Uh, Anyway, condolences to his family and uh, his, uh, his uh, impact on the country, obviously, very significant. So, Jim, on that somber note, we will call time for today. We'll see you on Tuesday. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks very much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends about us as well. Uh, we're very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. And uh, don't forget, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday, and please join us again on Tuesday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.